This is the Plant Yourself Podcast. I'm Howard Jacobson of plantyourself.com and the Big Change Program with Josh Lajani. This podcast is part of my mission to help you live a positive and pleasurable life. So about 10 years ago, I wrote a report on how to avoid boomeritis. Boomeritis, as described in a New York Times article of around 2006 or 7, was the thing where boom baby boomers were getting injured by doing sports that they had done all their lives. And it was an article with interviews with doctors and physical therapists and nurses and public health people telling boomers to basically take it easy. Well, the main thing that's changed in the last 10 years is that we have a lot more evidence that that's BS, that eating a healthy plant-based diet can really prevent a lot of the problems that seem to come along just with aging in boomers who are physically active. And having run the Leadville Trail Marathon this past weekend and coming out in my age group, a very respectable 58th out of 58, I can tell you that there's a hell of a lot of boomers and now Gen Xers 10 years on who are aging extremely well. And a lot of that has to do with our plant-based diets. So if you would like to read the Boomeritis BS Report, which is even more relevant now than it was 10 years ago, at least to me, you can get that at plantyourself.com slash boomeritis. Now a quick intro to today's show with Sid Garza-Hillman, who is one of the world's great bald plant-based podcasters of Jewish origin. And he's also very savvy and funny, and he's a philosopher and a parent and a health coach. And we are kind of the same person, except he's written a book that I haven't called Approaching the Natural. And his podcast is also called Approaching the Natural, and I highly recommend it. Unlike my podcast, in which I let other people do the hard work and I just interview them, uh, Sid basically talks for around an hour every single week about health and fitness and nutrition and life and philosophy and sanity. And it's amazing. You'd think a guy, like someone doing that would kind of repeat himself all the time. But his episodes are fresh and new and interesting and valuable, and I highly recommend it. And I was able to steal him away and make him work for my show this week. So without further ado, Sid Garza-Hillman, welcome back to the Plant Yourself Podcast. This is my second time, and I'm, I'm happy to be here. But now I'm by myself, so it's even better. Yeah, right. No, no, no one to share the limelight with. That's right. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to, we, we met for the first time in, in the flesh at, uh, at Marshall, Texas at the Health Fest, and there were, there were lots of things that we talked about and that we experienced that we loved, and we also had like ideas and revelations sort of about like where we want this movement to go. And we, we turned out to be very similar to each other, not, not just in our, uh, you know, in our hairstyles, <laughs> yeah. um, but, but in a lot of attitudes as well. So I, I, would, uh, I would love to spend this time with you just kind of, you know, talking about where, where we think the movement can go, the, the plant-based, health-based, environment-based, ethics-based, lifestyle-based movement that we both are a part of and love so much. Yeah, I think that would be great. I think um, I definitely felt like we hit it off, and 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 a lot of the um, just you know some of the situations we were in with the, being on the panels and stuff like that. There was a couple of times where you know we'd kind of look at each other like what <laughs> you know, and yeah. so so yeah, I was I was looking forward to sitting down with you and actually talking about this in a, in sort of a broad broad scope way, even. Right, and because you know you have a podcast, and, and your podcast, unlike mine, is is predominantly 
you talking about things you've thought of, which to, you know, to me, I can't imagine how you do that every week because you know I can go months without a thought. <laughs> yeah, I can't. I actually, uh, oddly enough, I can't imagine how I can do it every week either. But it just keeps coming and almost every week i go i wonder if this will be the last one <laughs> you know and then there's just you know it's such a in some ways a very comp uh very simple um thing that we that we talk about and and but when you get to the nitty-gritty it, it becomes very complex and there's lots of different layers of um you know actions that people can take internally and externally to to make a, a good life for themselves and that that's not a that's not an easy thing in the context of everything else going on in the modern world so i guess that's what keeps me coming back every week right well I, every time i listen to your podcast i go god thank god sid's doing that so i don't have to <laughs> yeah good well i'm glad i can fill that role for you <laughs> so Let's 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 talk about the the movement. Like what you know, we said we don't we don't want to make this like a, a negative, and I think any any negative is also the inverse of a positive. But like, what's uh, what are you seeing? The the sort of the vying trends for for where the energy and the money and the focus is going. Well, I think maybe maybe a good place to start for you and me would be to d define even what we think the move the so-called movement is because I, I what i see it being is is this sort of partitioned thing now that's become like you're either uh for health or you're either for you know you're you're for the animals or you're for the environment or for your two of the three things and and i i see it as an ethical issue and i've seen it this way for a very long time even before i i wrote my book because it's kind of what inspired me to, to write the book, which, which is that I see it as an ethical, it's an ethical approach to your life. And, and, and I, the way, the reason I look at it like that is because then ethically I say, okay, obviously it, it's a good fit for the animals. Like that, that makes sense to people. Oh, it's this ethical thing. It's a compassionate thing. Okay, fine. But I also see treating the environment well as an ethical issue, but I also see treating yourself well as an ethical issue. So for me, the movement in my mind is to say how do we how do we help people uh care to, you know for that's an ethical sort of right or wrong in that realm kind of thing how do we get people thinking about the lives they live in an ethical i'm going to take care of myself way and i think that if they take care of themselves that's going to in a real way that's going to lead naturally to compassionate actions to environmental sustainability it sort of comes from that 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 grounding place right in, in a sense you know there and i know you're you're a philosopher and i i almost took a philosophy class in college but i think it uh it, it, it conflicted with ultimate frisbee or something funny i almost took a science class <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, the science classes were at 9 a.m so they didn't even conflict with my my classroom naps oh good that's a very convenient yeah <laughs> um but you know it's it's uh, it's almost like, you know, for, like we're trying to figure out what are the ethics of patching the hole under my seat in the boat versus patching the hole under someone else's seat. You know, yeah, there's a certain yeah, there's a certain extent to that. I think that that there is that. I call it holistic self interest. That's what I called it in in my book, holistic self interest, which is just an idea that 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 I believe we are selfish at our core. We 
physically are looking to, you know, to survive and to minimize stress. And I think mentally we're doing that too. I think that the, instead of saying, well, let's try to be more selfless, I think we should try to be better at being selfish. And I think what happens then is you, you take on an ethic of true self-care, which then bleeds out into the world when you really take, when you're not, greed is like selfishness gone awry. That I, That's not what I'm looking at. I'm not looking at greed. I'm looking at how to take care of yourself better so that you're a happier person, so that you can be a more caring person and how that affects the world at, 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 you know, at, at large. Right. I have, I have several coaching clients for whom the distinction, which I had to learn in a very painful way over the past two decades, the distinction between self-care and self-indulgence. Right. Where, where the, you know, the self-indulgence is the greed component applied to yourself in a way that makes you feel really bad afterwards. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think that to say we'll, you know, be selfless, I think is, is ridiculous. I, I don't think that even exists for humans in the, in the modern world. You know, perhaps there's that kind of goal in the meditation realm. That's fine. But as far as us living today, going to work, do, doing the things that human beings do in the modern world, I think we're not taking as good a care of ourselves as we should. And and that's, I think, the problem with that is that if we don't know how to truly self-care, our mode of minimizing stress, our, our methods, our solutions to, to dealing with the stress of living in the modern world go go off the rails a little bit we do go to drugs and alcohol we do go to, to you know in you know mindless entertainment all the time we do go to to what i call light you know junk food essentially those are the sort of solutions to the stress of the modern world without us applying real thought to what would be really good solutions but but they're all solutions we're all looking to be as happy as possible but if we don't think about it enough we're going to go to the ben and jerry's long before we go to a salad because it's a quicker way of minimizing the stress of our lives. Right. It's almost like, like the, the Native American linguistic use of the word medicine, right? Like sort of everything is medicine in a way. That's a the great, great that's a great point. Is a type of medicine. What is that? What is that? What are you talking about? Literally the word. About medicine? Well, yeah. What, what, what's the etymology of that? Well, I, I don't know, but just the way the way... Uh, that's how the, that's how the, the, they look at that traditionally. Like yeah, like a native uh, Native American culture would look at like what's you know the the medicine of sitting by a lake. Ah, the that's great. Of going to the mall. Ah, uh, that's great. I love that. Yeah, that's that's essentially what I'm saying. Exactly. It's it's like you know you hear people talk about my problem is Ben and Jerry's. That's my problem. You know, my problem is cheese. It's like, and I always go, yeah, that's not your problem at all. That's your solution. The only question is, is there a better solution for you or not? But I want you to think about it instead of beating yourself up that you have a problem. You don't have a problem. You're just, that's the solution that's working for you or not working for you, but that's why you're going to it because it's, it's a really great thing to do. You know, it's like Louis C.K. goes, he goes, how can I tell my teenage daughter that drugs aren't the absolutely perfect solution to, to life in the modern world? It's, you know, drugs are like a great, they solve everything, you know, they just don't do it well. But there's a reason why we go to drugs. So given that as a, as a, a background to understanding it, and that's, and that's in your book, Approaching the Natural, A Health Manifesto, which right. is... Which is Fabulous in its content and also in the fact that it fits in the back pocket of my jeans. That's right. As you pointed out. Yeah, your jeans, specifically. It was modeled over (laughs) Howard's jeans. 
Yeah, now, now it's got this curve in it that uh, <laughs> reminds me very much of my ass. Yeah, oh, good. <laughs> wow, this took a turn. Anyway, yeah, but that was the, that was the idea. I, I think I showed you that in Texas. I was like, see, it fits in the back pocket. Yep, I, I, first thing I tried. Yep, exactly. exactly. But so how, how, does that, how does this um, ethical approach to life about this holistic self-interest, um, how, how, how do you see that um, playing out or not playing out in your concern about the partitioning of the movement where we all have to choose which team we're on? Well, I think I think we need to take. I, I think anybody interested in this thing that we're doing, veg fests and all these kinds of things, I'm I'm proposing people take a step back. I'm proposing that before we get in, mired in the in the protein discussion, before we get mired in the you know, the, you know, you, you and I were sitting on that panel, and you know, the question of alcohol came up and wine. Remember, and there was a, the statistic of you know people who drink. I think it was like one glass of wine a month have a thirty percent increase in chances of breast cancer. And I'm just, I'm, that's when you and I looked at it. I was like, what in the world on what planet is that? A, I was like blew my mind. And what I realized is that I'm seeing people become very, uh, weighed down in the minutia. And, and I, and I, what I believe works better is when people take a little step back or sometimes a big step back and say, before I get into a discussion of whether I can have a sip of wine and it's going to kill me tomorrow, why am I doing this in the first place? Why am I showing up to this thing in the first place? Is there something in my life that I want more of? And when you remember that as a backdrop, you're going to be less, I think, apt to get militant and rigid and and so constrained in your choices that you actually derail your own happiness. And I, I think that's what's missing is we just like we partition and we define and we, we get so mired in the, in the details that we, we all of a sudden we forget why we came here in the first place. Hmm. So, so like I hear you and I'm also thinking about like, is, is that a real statistic? Like there's, you know, there, we all have our confirmation biases, like the things we want to, you know, tell people to avoid. We have good statistics for like, what's the problem with that, with that particular statement that, uh, that made us sort of look at each other and, and get a little bit nervous about what the audience was going to take away from it. The, the problem is there's no context. The problem is, is there's to me, there's a very, very reductionist way of looking at things like alcohol to me. And I'm in, you know, I, you, you do nutrition too. I must, I'm a nutritionist as well. I don't, uh, it's a bigger picture than food. It's a stress picture for me. And so if if you come at one of these things, making, making it all about food, you're going to buy a statistic like that when I think the thing that I said to you at that time that I heard that statistic was, I was like, well, what are those people eating? You know, research as a whole, I had a really good conversation with Garth Davis about this because he, you know, he is so research heavy and, and he reads the research and he's looking at you know who funds the research and he's looking at the way these studies are crafted and i think that's that's a good thing to do because we can get these conclusions we can get these statistics that are so quick to to just throw out it's a sentence people who drink one glass of wine per month have a 30 percent increase in breast cancer 
And you have a crowd of people that are going to listen to that and they're not going to go to the study because they have, they're busy and they have jobs and they have families and they're not going to read the study. They're not going to know how it was crafted. They're going to get the headline. It's essentially a CNN headline without reading the article. And to me, if you're not in a good place to, to question that or to say, well, wait a second, like you did, you took the microphone. You're like, well, in all of the blue, virtually almost every blue zone in the world, alcohol is a through line. How you know? So there, it's obviously a bigger picture than a, you know one glass of wine per month. It just makes me very nervous when somebody walks in a door to listen to a lecture on you know whatever vitamin B six or whatever, and 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 that's their main focus, and they haven't broadened their approach, you know, their own approach to their own lives. It makes me nervous because I feel like there's, you go down a rabbit hole that way. And I could find a study that tells you that red wine's good for you. You know, you know how studies are. It's like we're cherry picking. And, and, and so it makes me nervous if you're, if you're going to cherry pick a study and somebody is vulnerable in that audience because of, for whatever reason, they could take that information and, and it, it actually can make them less happy in their lives. And that makes me worried. Either that they're going to continue with their glass of wine because some part of them needs the medicine or enjoys it or socially it's uh, it's easier or called for, or they're going to give it up and not understand what is now missing or how to how to replace it. Yeah, yeah, they're not ready to make the, you know it's like I, I what I tell people is like before you make change one, get ready. Get your get your mind ready to before you jump into a diet. Like do do a, a significant amount of preparation in terms of setting the stage. Then okay, am now am I ready to make a change? And I think what happens is we read something. You know, we 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 love these top ten lists of these foods to eat, and these foods are you know, these are top five superfoods. And you know, you know, Gregor's Daily Dozen, and and and, and they're not they're not wrong in a sense. It's just, I want to make sure people are ready to read that stuff because I hear from people who read those things and then they get stressed because then they feel guilty and pressure and shame if they don't get the, that thing in their day to day that they're supposed to, you know, there's all these like rules that we make and it just, it just, it just creates so much havoc in people's lives. I was just talking to someone who is really having trouble because she doesn't like kale. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and she knows that she's supposed to eat kale every day. Right. Do I have any good recipes for kale or good sauces for kale? And the answer is, yeah, I do. And, like, do you like spinach? You yeah, know? and also, yeah, like, I don't eat kale every day. I don't even, you know, it's like it, it really... And, and, you know, the book, my book is called Approaching the Natural. It's been out for four years and not like I'm trying to sell it right, right now. But the point is, is it, it, it's like I keep looking to wild animals and going look how much we think about food and how how we're doing as a species and look how wild animals are thinking about food and look how they're doing it's we 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 overcomplicate this thing and then because we overcomplicate it we do have people who feel like i have to eat kale every day like on what planet do you have to eat kale every day it, you know is there something magical in kale that you can't get from anything else and if you have it, if you miss it one day you're going to derail i mean you can be supremely healthy by by doing very very little it, you know and and it, so again i think it's like it gets really complicated very fast right. so and and there are ways in which we as a you know plant-based or vegan community um, yeah, as as 
as leaders, as speakers at VegFest, as as authors, we can sometimes inadvertently or even consciously like contribute to that anxiety in in the in the guise or in, in, with the intention of just helping people like get better and purer. Like one one of the things I discovered when I started going to these events is like, you, there's always room to go purer. And there's and if someone stakes out that space, then someone else is going to try to stake out the space even to you know to the to the left of that. That there's kind of a um, a dynamic that you know, well, no, no, smoothies are bad, and this is bad, and that's bad, and you know, we end, we all end up like just eating you know biodynamic blueberries off the vine, and, and, and nothing else is quite good enough. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. I mean, that's what makes me f- feel a little nervous. You know, like that 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 is what I feel like that's happening. You know, it's it's so um it's great, you know, it's great like we with this meal plan thing I did with Matt, like we do live Q&As and the questions that come up on these things are like, well, what about smoothies cuz so and so said that smoothies are bad. It's like, oh my god. You're doing like what you're doing is so incredible compared to what most people do. You're feeling better, but now you got to feel bad about smoothies for crying out loud because some study said that this happened and that happened and you know, my doctor told me I have to be drinking 5 to 6 cups of coffee a day. That was an actual question. So now they're drinking 5 to 6 cups of coffee a day because some study said that the whatever you know phytochemical and you know in coffee and it's like it's our brains are going to explode you know it's just too much and so i think to your point like it's all good intention and i i hope i mean i hope that people are coming to these with this information to help actually help people and not to scare the crap out of people i just think they're scaring the crap out of people and i think that it's not that is real stress that that is real stress that people are feeling and they're feeling about they're feeling it about doing very healthy activities that they're feeling super stressed about and that stress is debilitating on a physical and mental level one thing that just occurred to me is that like this is really all about mindset so that if someone comes and they say you know my problem has been in jerry's or cheese and you know you say well then that's your that's your solution but they, people can also be addicted to their daily dose of self-loathing, right? And so if if someone has cleaned up their diet and now they, they, they have this free-floating self-loathing, they don't know where to put it, we can give it to them by telling them that smoothie, smoothies are bad or they need, you know, to chew eight cups of, of steamed greens, you know, every single – every hour or whatever it is that – you know, if if people don't get their mindset right around being okay with themselves, whatever we tell them is going to become a vehicle for them to to beat themselves up. I couldn't agree more. I mean, that's why I believe this is an ethical issue above all else. I think that if we as if you lead whatever if people we're doing this right, we're teaching people. So whatever that is, whatever we are in that regard, if we if we teach the things that we teach without providing context, without saying, I'm going to give you this information, but before you jump on it or feel bad about it or take it on or whatever, here's the context. The context is your life. You want to be healthier. You want to be vibrant. You want to feel good. You want to travel, whatever. You want to have more energy, less inflammation. You want to feel good. That Okay, now here's the information. Now, now you can take it 
at the level that you, you know, how quickly you want to incorporate into your life, that, that can be up to you. But, but people, they learn this stuff and then many just say, okay, well, now that I know it, I have to just, just beat the crap out of myself to make sure this is hundred percent perfection right out of the shoot. And they're either going to be super miserable or they're going to burn out and not, and not continue it anyway. But it's a, it is a mindset issue above all else. And that's what, that's what makes me nervous is the mindset is sometimes not in place before people make these changes. They're not ready. They're just not ready to do it yet. Right. So like, here's, here's another way that I can prove that I'm a failure. Yeah. Yeah. Because they can't exactly, you know, so it's like, it's like, um, I mean, this, the whole thing about the biggest loser, you know, where people lost, they gained, most of them gained the weight back that they had lost. And I remember hearing an interview with one of them, um, this woman who, who was, you know, ashamed, you know, and, and embarrassed. And I thought that's heartbreaking. You know, she's embarrassed about a, um, a model that was never designed for her to be long-term successful, never. And so she's feeling bad about herself for, for something she, the chances were so far, odds were so far against her ever being successful and she's going to actually feel bad about it. And I'm like, these people should be sued. It's, it's so sad. This woman's feeling bad about herself. Well, that's essentially what many of us are playing into in that same kind, maybe not so extreme, but that same kind of thing is giving people information and framing it in such a way that it becomes a should and so people take these massive, really, they are massive. If you look at them, for some people, massive changes, then they fail. Then they feel bad, like they can't do it. And we didn't give them the tools to make it long-term in the first place. Right. So what, you know, if, if that's the, the negative, what, what do you see? Like if you, for, you know, around that issue, um, what do VegFests do? What do teachers and leaders and authors and podcasters do? To invite people in, and and really, you know, we like we didn't cause them to self-loathe, right? They they brought that with them. Is there a way to use what we're teaching around the plant-based, healthy, active lifestyle to kind of confront the the self-loathing, the criticism, the guilt, the shame that they already have? Yeah, and I don't know if they, you know, people walk in, you know, people who go to VegFest are like people who self-loathe, self-loathe. I think, I, I, here's my, here's what I think we do as as people who do what we do. I think we show up and, and remind people what we're selling. And what we're selling is, is that we think, and you and I do, think that this is a really good way to live. We think this is a better way to live. We think this is a good way to live on every level. We think it's a good way to live for health. We think it's a good way to live for compassion and, and kindness to other creatures we share the planet with. We think it's a really good way to live in terms of our environment and, and you know, being allowing the earth to freaking survive. So we believe that and we got to do a better job at selling that we again before you talk about showing somebody a video of an animal being horrifically treated and tortured beware because because people can i would say most people you know i always argue like people are basically humane like people are swerving to hit to not hit a squirrel most people will swerve to not hit a squirrel in, in a road 
And most people understand on a, on at least on some surface level what goes on in factory farms. It's it, I think most people, at least in the United States, like get an I have a basic idea. And m- most people don't go, oh really? That they I, I didn't realize they were slaughtered. Like they they kind of know, but but they but they have we all compartmentalize information. There's no way that we can get up in the morning with all the inform- all the things we know right at the forefront. I mean, you and I know what happens in factory farming. If I thought about that stuff every day, I would never leave my house because when I'm, when it comes out, it's debilitating to me. Like it kind of takes over my brain and I certainly couldn't do a podcast every week if I was thinking about that stuff all the time. Right. So we all compartmentalize. It's what we do as human beings. We can't have everything we know at our disposal all at once. We, we choose to think about certain things and we choose to think about, not think about other things. And we have to be very careful before we before we introduce people to information to say, remember why we're doing this. We have, we, we have to do a better job at selling the joy that we feel by doing the things that we do. We, we've got to be better examples of, of health and happiness and joy and fun. And, and I think this is my opinion. I really wish a lot of this stuff would become more mainstream. I wish that we would be in a way, devaluing what we do. And I, and and I mean it this way, just make it normal. Like, I don't want to, I don't really want to walk around with a, you know, a big sign. I kind of just want to be a regular dad that has three kids and my wife and I both work. And, and, and we, we also, Oh yeah, by the way, we're also plant-based. Like I, I don't want it to be such a big deal anymore. It probably has to be, but I, but at least I think some of us have to say like, yeah, it's, it's easy. Because all the things about it are like, it's so hard and it's so different. But what if it's not that different? What if it's just kind of normal and okay? But the person who thinks they need to eat kale every day, that's going to make most people go, yeah, that's why I don't do that. Because that's crazy. I don't want to eat kale every day. Yeah, so I've been thinking about this a lot around things like the Doug Lyle and Alan Goldhammer's The Pleasure Trap. Right. Which I read and was highly influential me too. for me and has has helped a lot of people. And I also, and I talked about this a little bit with Doug, but I don't, I don't think I, I framed it as clearly as I, as I want to right now. That I think there's a way in which that telling that story about how we are going to be hijacked by our core pleasure principle and avoid pain principle actually can become self-fulfilling and can make it much harder than if we, just, if we had a different story that could also be true about how this stuff could be really easy. Like what? Do you, what do you mean? Like escaping that design of us, or that maybe 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 there's more to the theory than just that, and may, maybe it's it's like you know social theory not only explains us but it also describes us. Um, so I'm I'm reading this book right now called uh, Donut Economics okay. by this Kate, woman Kate Raworth, a, a kind of renegade economist who's trying to tell us that all of the economic theories that we have are you know the sort of the neoliberal state like it's all wrong it doesn't take the earth into account it doesn't take unpaid mostly female domestic labor all this stuff and but she has all these examples of how theories came out and that that sort of predicted behavior and over time as they the theories became influential they predicted behavior better and better because human beings started conforming to the theories oh wow it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah but like, like we can say, yes, we have this drive to overconsume sugar, and 
like you know we're always going to be vulnerable to the pleasure trap i think there's there's room to say actually it's quite easy to live a, a healthier life even i don't even even if it's not true you well, know the, well, the you know argument saying like a placebo effect of saying this doesn't have to be the hardest, most challenging thing in the world. I completely, hundred percent agree. But I would, I would just argue that say that the pleasure of that, we we just need, we're just redefining pleasure. So, so I would come at it a, di- a different way. I think we're saying the same thing essentially. But I'm saying, sure, we 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 want pleasure. I mean, that's why we do what we do. But to me, what what. So what I always say is somebody who sits down to eat a Big Mac is exactly the same as the person who sits down to eat the big salad, or at least could, could be. Because when I eat a big salad at night, I, I love it. But it, it, I don't love it the way that I used to love Big Macs. You know, I'll be very, very honest. Like I, I love French fries on a whole nother level than I love my banana smoothie. But, but there's pleasure to be had when I do the banana smoothie or the big salad the same way that there's pleasure to be had to sit down in a Big Mac. It's just that I'm, I have a little broader view of my life in terms of the salad has pleasure in the moment. Sure. But it's got pleasure long-term, but it's still pleasure. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so it's not like I say, let's deny the fact that we want to feel really good and, and have pleasure. It's just, well, what is pleasure actually? If you think about it for a second, what does pleasure actually mean? Does it mean the 10 minutes that you eat the Big Mac? Or does it mean most of the time of your life you feel really good and have energy and you know, you're able to do other fun stuff because you eat well most of the time? Right. That's, that kind of reminds me of the work of uh, Kelly McGonigal out of Stanford who, uh, who wrote um, The Willpower Instinct. Okay. The upside of stress, where she takes these two ideas, these two concepts um, that most social science research has looked at and said, basically, when we look at our neurology and our physiology, we're screwed and we have to become like we have to override our impulses. And in her work, she kind of says, you know what? We also have impulses towards willpower. Like we have we have. And, and I think that's that's like the way I would define what you're saying is like. Willpower is the ability to stretch pleasure over longer periods of time. Yeah, that's right. And how do you, and how, when you, when you take into consideration that, let's say somebody, the average person who comes to a veg fest, I'm totally generalizing here. I have no idea statistically if this is true, but let's say somebody comes at 45 years old and they, they came because they're friends of somebody who's, who's vegan and, and they, and the friend says, you should come to this veg fest. They're really fun. And there's good food and good speaks, you know, good speakers. And it's really, really good. So this person shows up, they're 45 years old. And for 45 years, they've never done reading one on food like most of us i mean when i changed my diet i had i hadn't previously read on anything it was just it just was like to sort of the right time and place that i read all of a sudden was given something and made a change and then i started then i started reading about it but 45 years of sort of eating what you grew up with and you just kind of continue eating that that's what that's what we're talking about here is multiple years of this kind of thing multiple years and and to change the way that you think about your life to to expect that to be overnight or even within 21 days or even a few months is kind of a tall order when you think about it it's it's a you've got a you're undoing years or at least trying to redefine years of behaviors in the making and so it's an interesting thing that when you say like an instinct to willpower 
But to get to think about long-term pleasure, I think is totally the ability we have as human beings, but it doesn't, it's a, does she believe that's a trained um, action? Like you have to train yourself to be able to do that? Or is that something she believes is hardwired into us? Both. It's like, you know, the the two wolves, whichever one you feed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like we, we all have, you know, we have the instinct to like eat the Big Mac, to do the thing that will give us the instant pleasure, but because we are social creatures and we've, you know, we understand that if you try to take the, you know, the tri the tribe leader's woman, that he will beat you to death with a rock. That we've also inherited the ability to inhibit those initial impulses. Right. Well, isn't that like the frontal cortex thing? You know, which is we have these these these. I mean, this is why this is why the modern this is why the marketing and advertising of things like junk food is so so powerful because. If you're and, and and this is why I believe it's a way bigger picture than than food because if you're stressed and 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 just irritable irritable and you had a long day of work and you drink caffeine you didn't sleep really well and then you go to the market and you're gonna be more susceptible because I you know I'm sure you've been in this situation I definitely am you're more susceptible to things like junk food or or you know alcohol and, and all these kinds of things that that because your guards down right so if you can have your guard at least up at least you you have your sort of frame of mind in place to say okay i'm going into the market but i'm kind of taking deep breath here so that i'm not going straight to the twinkie section i can sort of make choices that are that are going to give me pleasure but in a much broader way what a, what a great model but that's not that's not easily gotten just you know with a snap of a finger that's that's making a decision that you want to live better, making the decision that you want to be happier and healthier, then saying, okay, well, I want to keep that decision at the forefront of my actions. How do I get that done? Well, maybe I go for some light walks and maybe I take some deep breaths and I do a little bit of meditation, a little yoga. I start you know, bringing in some healthy food and I kind of do this broad approach to, to improving my life overall. But But the other side of that is just, you know, for somebody who has just kind of gone through their lives for years and years and years, there it's going to take a little while before they can get that right mindset. And I think it's, it speaks to a need for various different approaches in in how we invite people in. It's, you know, some someone who's just starting out. It's like it's like you know, if you go like a one room schoolhouse that went from you know pre kindergarten to graduate school, like some you know almost everybody's always confused or bored. Right. Right. You know, if you if you have people who are, who are the 45 year old who's never thought about this before, they need a very different approach than than someone who, you know, has seen forks over knives, has gone to a dozen veg fests and still is doing all these guilty binges and can't understand what's wrong with them. Yeah, couldn't agree more. You know, we do need more. We we and, and maybe there are already multiple approaches. I mean, I think each of us has a, a different way of communicating. Garth Davis, you and I, and Chef AJ, and John McDougal, and all, and a thousand other people. It's, it's, we do, the problem, if, you, if it's a problem, my concern, I'll put it that way, is that I'm not sure that many people who come to these know what they should be looking for. They they don't know enough about their own lives to say, I'm not going to John McDougal because I'm not there yet. I want to go 
to the cooking class that just kind of shows the fun of this. And that's that's kind of what I'm ready for now. And then later I'll get into the fact that oil is so poisonous that if I, a drop lands on my skin, you know, I'm going to die. You know, and so and so it, it's like kind of I wish I want people to to I want to help people know where they are in the process so that they're not getting overloaded with too much information too soon. That's beautiful. That, that, that really sparks a lot of thinking in me in terms of pedagogy, in terms of how, you know, when I, if, when I run live events, like how, how to curate them so that people don't end up, you know, walking into the, uh, you know, the, the, the prize fighting gym when they, they want to be in a gentle yoga class. Yeah, I, I think that's I think that's absolutely true. I mean, I, here's my here's one of my biggest I the, the I, what I call it the guru problem. Like the, this is kind of like the guru culty thing that can happen even in in such a to me such a great and inspiring movement to like to eat whole plants that are that are nourishing and and helpful best diet for the environment hands down best diet obviously for the animals because you ain't eating them it's so amazing and it's so positive in so many ways and yet there's that uh, it's happening where there's there's guru kinds of models even in this realm i i I don't know if you i don't think you would disagree with me here but there's people who are just like they follow somebody they go i follow so and so and i have been to their retreats a thousand times and i and 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 i'm seeing that sort of wide-eyed kind of pupil dilated kind of thing going on i'm like whoa that's crazy and 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 i don't know that that's equate that that's i don't know that that's getting somebody a, a life that they may have started with the intention of getting i don't know if it's delivering i'll put it that way yeah, and I think there's there are definitely benefits to picking one and saying, okay, this is the one I'm going to follow. Sure. But I think you know the danger is then you become someone who argues with someone who follows somebody else, and and or you you go around and everybody's constantly wondering like, gee, who's right, McDougal or Furman? They can't both be right. Oh yeah, and those guys argue. I don't know who's arguing now, but I I just lost complete interest in that whole bag because it's just. It's just it's to me, and it's and it, to me, it's also just like so food focused more than more than happiness focused. Again, like to back up and say, well, wait a second. Like, I like the information that Joel Furman <clears throat> delivers. He is amazing, uh, and I and I read it, and I and I know it's great. But and once I know it, I don't have to follow Joel Furman. I'm not a Joel Furmanite, you know, like I'm not a, a guy who has to now go to every Joel Furman thing. It's just good information. Let me take it, incorporate it into my own life and, and be in charge of, you know, the rate at which I incorporate it and how much I end up taking on based on my life. And so it's that little that little moment where somebody goes past the information and to the personality that makes me nervous and 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 it and it and it i just i don't know what to do about that other than try to be in my own practice the person who says you know enough now go live your life and have fun don't follow me take what information you got from me and get some information from someone else and, and sort of craft your own plan and then go live your life and have fun. Cause that's why you came to this in the first place. Yeah. And I, and I have a little bit of a concern about that though, in that 
you know, you're, you're sort of assuming that human beings operate rationally when, you know, we've, we've just had an election that I would argue <laughs> kind, of, kind of shows that people respond very much to personality and to sort of narrative style um, as opposed to here are the facts and here's, you know, here's what's good for us. And also that a lot of, you know, a lot of us in the plant-based community who are trying to, like, for better or worse, scratch, worse, scratch out a living are told and find it to be true that the more personality we have, the more memorable we are, the more leads, prospects, customers, repeat customers, testimonials we get. So there's, there's a lot of forces that are, uh, that are pushing against the idea of I'm just going to be an honest broker of information and you can take it or leave it. Well, I, I don't think that it's I don't think it's mutually exclusive to say I'm a personality and and so um, I can't be I, I have to be a guru like the, it's so the way I'm looking at what you just said is of course I I am I pay very much attention to my delivery method of my information for sure and for sure I want to make a living at this but I think it's also my responsibility as as uh, an perceived authority or, or leader, or, you know, I'm a po people listen to my podcast, for instance. Um, I want to make money at it, of course, but at what level, at, at what level do I say now I'm hooking people in, in a way that is antithetical to my message, which is to empower people to live their own lives. There's a difference between, you know, a guy like Donald Trump saying <clears throat> all these kinds of things that are not factual and sort of appealing to the gut gut level of, of the, of many, obviously many people in the population. And then, and then just being that guy. And then there's some, there's another way of doing it, which is appealing to people in a personality way and you inspire people and it's amazing. But what happens when those people actually then become followers of you? And what responsibility do you have as a leader to say, hey, listen, like, I'm glad that I inspired you, but what did I inspire you to do? Did I inspire you to, to now in, to be powerful in your own life and control your own life? Or did I inspire you to be hooked into me and and not be rational in the way that you live your life? I, I So I totally get what you're saying about it, but I don't think one necessarily leads to the other. I think it's our responsibility as leaders to say, this is for fun and it's supposed i mean not you know what i mean it's to have fun it's to enjoy your life better that's what my role is is to is to help you in that way right so that's i think that's a beautiful framing for any sort of event or book or talk just you know to remind us because it is it is hard for us to remain sort of holistically involved and you know in in my coaching one of the things that i've started doing that has has made a huge impact is at the beginning of each call I remind my clients based on our, our in my intake notes why they're paying me to coach them like what they're trying to achieve and these are all really bright people in in, in many um, you know different domains and I'm coaching some people on sort of business and marketing a lot of people on health and people will come in with the problem of the hour like we got to work on this thing and just to stop and remind them, like, okay, you told me that your goal was to lose 30 pounds and feel good hiking. And like, oh, yeah. Like, okay, so now let's, is, you know, half of the time the issue that they came in with is completely irrelevant to that. And half the time we can then frame it in a way 
that relates it to their big goal that gives them so many more resources. Yeah, I think that's what you're doing is providing. You're providing and reminding context. And that's exactly what I think is missing and also what I think is necessary because you come in with this intention and then you get lost in the details and the details are important, but they're less important than the original goal because the original goal is going to keep you on track. The details are going to make your head explode. If they're, if they're in the, if they're devoid of context, the details will make you crazy. And I think what's happening, I think what we can do better is to, is to always do what you're doing, which is to, to, to subtly and sometimes not so subtly remind people of context, you know, like remember why you guys are here at the veg fest. It's not, it's good to know about protein. You know, it's good to know that we don't need very much and that it's in all the plants, but that's not the reason that you're here. You came here because you want to live better in theory, or at least find out if this is a better way for you to live. Don't forget that before you get mired in the thing, because if you get mired in the protein question, Garth Davis will tell you, you can find 10 studies that are going to show you that animal protein is is necessary, that saturated fat's the best thing ever, that butter coffee is the solution to all of our ills. And there's going to be 10 studies that show you the exact opposite of those things. Now, Garth gets into those things deep and he'll say he can show who funds the various studies and how they're crafted. But for the layperson, it's just you get mired in, in the studies, you're going to get hooked into that, you know, one glass of wine per month, 30%, you know, chance of, of breast cancer. You're going to lose, you're going to lose the context and get, and just get the guilt and the shame and the, this and that you're either going to drink wine and feel bad about it or not drink wine and feel bad about it. And you're feeling bad about it no matter what. And I think it's our responsibility to say, to, to remind people of context. I think that's a, what you're doing is exactly right on the money. Now, a lot of my, my friends who are not plant-based, but who I would call sort of you know, holistic health practitioners, they talk a lot about bioindividuality and listening to your body. And you know, there's, there's a kind of a rap against that in the plant-based community. It's like, you know, well, if I listen to my body, I would still be smoking cigarettes. Or, you know, but, but I think there is something to, to becoming our own sources of information. I think we have to temper it with, you know, you don't just listen to your body and see if you feel better 10 minutes later, but, you know, to, to sort of temper it with knowledge. But what do you think about this idea of, so instead of, you know, Furman or McDougal or you or me or whoever being the guru, that people develop the skills to, to kind of self-correct based, based on their, their uh, experiences and results? I think that that's... I think that's great. I think that I, I have a beef about l that whole listening to your body thing because <clears throat> I, I, to me, I say I think people should listen to their bodies. I just define it in a kind of a different way. I think that the body communicates. If it communicates, it communicates via things like inflammation and things like energy levels and things like how often you're sick and things like your skin and your, you know, just soreness, muscle joint soreness. Uh, fat around the midsection. I think that's how your body communicates. And I think, you know, I've had people say, my body just tells me that I need raw, m you know, raw milk. I had a woman literally tell me, my body just tells me that. Well, she was 50 pounds overweight. So I'm going, your body's not telling you that actually. Your body's <laughs> telling you that what you're doing is not working. And it's trying to tell you that very, very clearly. And you're not listening to it. You're listening to your cravings. Um, 
and I, so so in that context i actually believe we aren't so bio individual i think that we are we do share a, a genetic code that is almost identical you know it's not, i don't know what the i think it's 99.8% genetic similarity between in our species we haven't diversified genetically to such an extent that you know that howard needs a completely different nutritional profile than sid does i don't i don't think that's true um and so when we get into this whole listen to your body thing that to me whenever i hear that is somebody's excuse to do what they're doing because that that's a, a justification to do what they're doing when and often I don't I don't talk about this to them because I'm usually just having a conversation I don't go well look at the fat around your midsection I didn't say anything to the woman telling me that she needed raw milk but I'm thinking you're not actually listening to your body and you should if you want to feel better but don't don't cast it off as this kind of magical thing that you're I had a woman one time years ago tell me that she craves Ben and Jerry when she craves Ben and Jerry she knows she needs the calcium and and I it's absolutely it's ridiculous it's utterly ridiculous that's not why you crave Ben and Jerry's you crave Ben and Jerry's because it makes you feel good in the moment because you're for whatever reason and it tastes great <laughs> you know and so but again how do we provide context to that how do we get that information across that's the that's the challenge right and then when I when I was talking about you know becoming your own guru and source of information I am talking about the the context of what do you want your body to look like how do you want to feel like, are you, you know, are you losing weight if you want to lose weight? Are you, are you getting faster and stronger if you want to be a competitive uh, athlete? Yeah, I completely agree. I, I 100% agree with what you're saying because it, it, it's like, I do think we can become, well, I don't know if we can be, well, there's two things. We can certainly become a source of some information, but we can 100% be the curator of the information. And that's what I'm looking at. I think it's great to get information wherever you can. I think it's great to weigh the different approaches and kind of see, because I don't think it's necessarily one size fits all, and that sounds in contradiction to what I just said, but I don't think it's one size fits all because our lives in the modern world are so different. So in other words, sometimes I advise people nutritionally, if they're super stressed and they have a crazy job that is nuts and they have family and they're just, they're, they're not sleeping, I will advise them to eat things that are a little easier to digest because of the effect of of stress because the effect that stress has on digestion I'll I'll, I'll advise a, a a diet that is let's say way more fruit heavy so that it cuz fruit is so easy to digest because these people are having digestive issues because they're so stressed that may not be the same advice I'm going to give to somebody else who doesn't have nearly the lifestyle stress but that doesn't mean that biologically those two people are super diverse. It just means that the 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 lives that they live in the modern world are diverse, and therefore the actions they may have to take in the short term to sort of normalize might be a little bit different. Um, and so I, my point is is that I think if people can learn in different a bunch of different areas and get better at at picking and choosing what works for them based on their lives, I think that's a very very great way to manage a healthy life. And I think it's also a very great thing that you and I and, and the people that do what we do, if we can empower people to do that, I think that's a very, very good service that we can provide to people. Now, when we first started talking, you mentioned that you're concerned about the movement becoming partitioned, uh, which I don't, we, we, I don't think we've quite um, addressed head on around the you know, health, environment, animals. What's, what's your concern 
around that, as opposed to saying, well, it's great that people come to this movement with, for, for so many different reasons? Um, I think it's great that they come to so many different reasons. I just wish that when they, for whatever, so in other words, I, you know, I came, I don't remember, I don't even know why you came at it. I came at it for health. I mean, I didn't come at it intentionally. Like I'm going to try to be healthier. I read a book. It mentioned the link between dairy and asthma. I gave up dairy. My asthma went away. That, that, that was it. I wasn't even vegan at the time. I was, wasn't vegan for, you know, I would sort of dabble in it for years until I finally was like, I'm done here. And I just want to be vegan. I feel so much better doing this. So we're, we're, we're good. Um, but, but in that trek, I, I was opened up to once I made a conscious, you know, all of a sudden I was thinking about something that I wasn't thinking before, which is food. I was also always thinking about what I was putting in my body. Well, for 24, my first 24 years, I didn't really think about it. I just kind of ate stuff and maybe cursorily kind of understood that fruits and vegetables were healthy, but I didn't really, I didn't really think about food day to day. I just sort of ate what I, what I felt like eating. Well, now all of a sudden I'm thinking about it and because I'm thinking about it, I'm applying thought. I'm paying attention to it. And because I'm paying attention to it, I'm now paying attention to things that are related to that. So now I'm picking up a cookbook about plant-based something and I'm reading in that cookbook something else about the environment. What? The environment? What? How, how is that related? And the animals and all of a sudden that opened up. And so now because I came at it purely in sort of the health category. Now all of a sudden it's broadened and I'm realizing this is kind of good on multiple levels for me. And that's what keeps me doing what I do. And, and, you know, no problem. The fact of the matter is I could eat a little bit of animal protein here and there and be just as healthy as I am right now. Uh, I, but, but I don't for non-nutritional reasons. I don't because I consider the ethical decisions that I make in my life. And because I consider the right and wrong of what I believe you know, it happens when, with regard to the environment and animals and things like that. I consider that stuff. And so I make the decisions based on a, on a more broad scope. My point is, is that if somebody comes to a veg fest with a very narrow focused health, let's say, I want that person ideally to, to be open to the other effects that it might have, or at least be willing to broaden at that point. What happens is that people stay partitioned. They come at it for the animals and they stay at the animals at the expense of their own health and and they're walking around and they're unhappy and they're miserable and they're and they don't they're not physically healthy and i think that that is debilitating to the very goal that they have which is to have pe help people not hurt so many animals i think that that their ill health is debilitating to even that goal that they have for, for in that regard right it's something that i discovered um, quite, it was quite shocking to me when I first sort of entered this world as a professional uh, right after Hole came out. I talked the publisher into uh, sending me, or they didn't end up uh, paying for it, but uh, <laughs> um, sending me with a box of books to a, um, a vegan bloggers conference. Okay. And I kind of assumed that vegan was meant healthy. Right. And to discover that, you know, the, the culture of vegan bloggers was entirely sort of animal based mm -hmm. and hedonistic. Because the thought was, if you want people to save animals, you have to like totally light up their taste buds. So it was all about like incredible food, you know, the Justin's peanut butter and all this stuff. Like there was nothing about health. And in fact, those of us who were advocating for health were looked down upon as as hurting the movement. Yeah, like you're going to no turn. going to go oil free. Right, and you're going to turn people, people away. Off. Right, and that does happen. Right, again, like who's ready for what? 
because I know many people who, you know, who go, maybe they're asking about, you know, plant-based or, you know, I work at this, I run the wellness center at the Stanford Inn. We, we just, and we really, Jeff Stanford and I really grappled with this for a long time, but we just put notes on the menu, like little codes that says like OF for oil-free. And, um, because most of the menu is oil-free, but we didn't talk about it. We didn't want to talk about it. We didn't want to make that a thing because most, like 90% of the guests who go there aren't vegan or vegetarian. So not only are they coming into a vegan resort for the first time in their lives, they've had a, they're having a fine dining vegan meal for the first time in their lives. And that's so cool. And they're enjoying it. And they're having a glass of wine. Then they look down at the menu and it says oil-free and they go, what the, what oil-free? When did oil become a bad thing? And it, and so it's like immediately the the walls go up and they're like, screw it. And the only reason we did it is because we had so many people coming in with rules and regulations about their own diet and they can't have a single drop of oil. And we, it was just causing us a lot of pain and, 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 and madness to try to negotiate these kinds of things. And so we finally were just like, okay, here, these are the things that are oil-free, like you can order them. But, but again, like, what are you, what are you ready for? Because it does turn people off when all of a sudden they're like, wait, oil's bad. And now I can't eat animal protein and I can't have oil. Like, what can I have? There's all those questions and they're going to shut it down. They're going to say, this is not worth it. Absolutely not worth it. It has to be about joy. And I am totally fine with the sometimes less than healthy, you know, eating that's also vegan. But my point is, is, is that should be treats. That shouldn't be what you do all the time because I'm, I'm actually coming from it from a nutritional and again, ethical standpoint too. I think it does really good for the animal movement that we have guys like Gene Bauer who are in really good shape. He just came out and ran my race a week, two weeks ago. He looks fantastic. He's, he's a nice, gentle guy He's not walking around with a dark cloud over his head, which he totally could knowing what he knows. I think that does way more for the animal movement than, than being the opposite. Right. So, so that really, I mean, what you talk about in approaching the natural and, and you're talking about here is that these bifurcations are kind of illusory, right? It's like the, the, the same illusion that pleasure comes from the Big Mac now as opposed to pleasure comes from a salad that builds me and supports me over time that, you know, that, yeah, I'm totally healthy on a dying planet. Woohoo. Right. Or, um, you know, I'm totally happy, but others are living in misery. Like there's only, you know, it's like we're, we're, we're bees and the hive is dying and all we care about is ourselves. Like it, it doesn't, it just doesn't make sense to not be, I love and I love your phrase, you know, holistically self-interested. Yeah, it, it 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 it's a human construct. We make these definitions and categories up and and it's and it's absolutely necessary in in many ways, but sometimes it's not. And I I I want more people to know the difference and I'm exploring that in my own life as well, but <clears throat> these kind of categories of like, well, that's this and that's this and these two things are completely separate. I don't think they're separate, at least in not in the context of the plant-based world, they're not separate. I don't see them as separate at all. I see them as, as intimately linked. And there is no difference to me at all between the health of our human body and the health of the planet and the health of the species on the planet. There, I, there's no difference to me. And when it gets categorized to the point that somebody then lives in this one area and won't step out into that other area, I think it's, I think it's detrimental to the, to the, to the goals 
of the plant-based movement itself. And then that, and that's what is, it, it's sometimes disheartening, but then pretty hopeful too, because there's a lot of people who are, who are being opened up to, to new stuff and stuff they might not have before. And I think that that's pretty great. I think that's, you know, that's both the huge strength and the big weakness as, as you framed it is that since everything is connected, we could, you know, tell someone about animal, you know, dairy and meat and oil and capitalism and cars and, you know, factory farming and um, non-organic fertilizer and, and, you know, it's all, since it's all connected, we, we could really make people feel like, God, this whole thing is just a, you know, a huge uh, cluster and, you know, that I give up or you've just attacked some part of me that I'm not ready to question yet. So, you know, this idea of, you know, as leaders and, and everyone who's listening to this podcast is a leader in the movement. If you think about it and talk about it and live it publicly, you know, how do we curate this giant holistic big picture in a way that allows people to approach it at their own pace? Well, I think we ch we each of us choose the the area that we you know when I get on stage and talk I don't talk about all those areas I, I don't I do not discuss the environment I do not discuss animal I'll, I'll cursorily sometimes jump into animal cruelty just but not in a way that like here's what happens to animals it's more like how do you know that stuff and not let it infect your life day to day what I talk about is the is the is the ethic of it is the is the big picture why we go to this we go to this to to live good lives. And, and that's sort of my thing. Cause I'm comfortable in that, in that arena. Somebody else might be comfortable. Garth Davis has wrote a book called proteinaholic. You co-wrote it. It's, it's, that's his thing. And he does that extremely well. John McDougall is the no oil thing. We, there's room for all of us. There's room for all of us. I just want, I, I want to do the best thing. I don't, whatever anybody, it's, it's not my business. I want to do the best thing I can. The, I want to do my thing the best way I can to to empower people and make them happier by doing the things that they do in this world and and not less happy. I want them to feel stronger and less dependent and more independent. I want them to be more thoughtful. I want to help them be more thoughtful. That's that's I want to do that as best I can. That is 100% my day to day. That is why I come to a, a, a you know me talking podcast <laughs> every week yeah. with little exception because I want that thinking to be at least part of the conversation. You know, it's like it's like the whole cowspiracy thing where, you know, they're going to these environmental groups and they're saying, we're not saying you only have to talk about animals, but 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 make them part of the conversation because they're the major part and you don't have them noticed anywhere. Well, I'm the same in the same mindset with regards to the plant-based movement. I want the ethic and the thinking to be at least part of the conversation along with the discussions about protein and the discussions about oil and the discussions about the environment. They, they all have a place. I just don't want people to get bombarded or overloaded by that information. And what you said was if there's a connection to all those things, you know, how do you keep people from just being forget it? Well, one of the ways you do it is you say there is a connection to all these things and you don't have to really think about all those individual things as much all you got to do is just eat whole plants most of the time and you're making effect 
an effect in every one of those areas and you don't really need to think about it too much after that. You don't need to be diving into one area so, so massively um, if you make this one action that makes you feel better and makes the world a better place in a very profound way. You can simplify things in your own life by just making some pretty simple steps and you're, you're way on your way. Yeah, I love that. It reminds me of a quote that I think was Oliver Wendell Holmes, but might not have been, um, where he says something about, like, I, I, I wouldn't give uh, a fig for the simplicity bef- that comes before complexity, but I would give my life for the simplicity that comes after complexity. Oh, that's and, great. That, that, you know, that, yeah, for most of us are walking around, ignorance is bliss. Right. And what you're saying is actually awareness is bliss. But once you've gotten awareness, you can come back to just simply eating plants, being happy, looking for joy, serving others, you know, being holistically self-interested and and having fun. And that's that's all that's required, and that's everything that's required. I, I you couldn't you I can't say it better. I mean, I cannot say it better. That's exactly the idea. When when do we know enough? to then live our lives. We can, sure, we can know way more because uh, there's always more to know. And, and I, I love that we're curious as a species and we're, and we're doing all this research and studies and, and it's amazing. But at what point can each of us decide, I know enough now to, to live my life really, really well. And unless I have a certain interest or job, like my job, I'm reading stuff. And I'm learning always about things in the nutritional world. But what I need to know as a as a dad of three and husband is a is a hundredth of what I know. I don't need to know most of the stuff. I, I want to know it because it's my job and I'm really interested in it and it's fascinating for me. But what I need to know is very little. What I need to know is very simple. And, and what I need to be happy is very simple too. And just because the information is out there and just because it's ever-changing and ever-growing doesn't mean I have to be cons- cons- constantly consuming it to be happier. Th- those two things don't necessarily equal each other. Beautiful. Hey, I'm looking at the clock. Um, I'm, I got to run. So, um, how can people get in touch with you? I just thought you and I were just going to have wine and just talk for like four hours. Give me half an hour. I got, a, I got a client call. <laughs> and I'm, I'm happy to come back. <laughs> it really is fun. I feel like we could do this like eight times. Anyway, um, people can get in touch. Uh, they can go to sidgarzahillman.com. Uh, my YouTube channel. Also, just search on Sid Garza Hillman or Sid or go to sidgarzahillman.com and they can get everything. I do have a new book coming out in September called Raising Healthy Parents: uh, Small Steps, Less Stress, and a Thriving Family, which I'm really excited about. It's at the editor right now. The draft is there, so it's on its way. And um, other than that, just you know, check out the podcast. Awesome. And just to make sure people can uh, can spell it, it's uh, G A R Z A dash h-i-l-l-m-a-n that's right cool well sid thank you so much i i I do think we need to have more of these conversations because i've had like a a dozen new thoughts and you know we 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 humans have the same thoughts all the time so whenever i have a new one i get uh, very excited yeah uh, let's let's keep it coming thank you so much for the conversation and for all you do it was a pleasure to be here howard and i i I came home from that veg fest and i was like i i met howard and i i just was telling jeff i was like i i that guy i want to hang out with i want to hang you know you meet somebody once in a while and you're like i could sit down with that guy for forever and just have a great conversation so thanks for having me on i really appreciate it right on well well i'll have to come out to the stanford inn and and get some of options anytime (laughs) ofgf and nf (laughs) anytime you're welcome
Awesome. Thanks, Seth. All right. Thanks, Howard. If you enjoyed this episode of the Plant Yourself podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. For more information about the Big Change Program led by me and Josh Lajani, visit BigChangeProgram.com. And be sure to check out the show notes for today's episode with links to everything we talked about at plantyourself.com slash 215. If you're new to the show, you can catch up on 214 archived episodes over at plantyourself.com. If you get the podcast but not the Big Change Bulldog, my weekly-ish newsletter, you can sign up and also get the Boomeritis BS report at plantyourself.com slash Boomeritis, B-O-O-M-E-R-I-T-I-S. Big thanks to all the Plant Yourself podcast patrons, Viz, Kim Harrison, Lynn McClellan, Anthony Disson, Brittany Porter, Dominic Mara, Barbara Whitney, Tammy Black, Amy Good, Amanda Hathaway, Mary Jane Wheeler, Ellen Kennelly, Melissa Cobb, Rachel Behrens, Christine Nielsen, Tina Scharf, Tina Ahern, Jen Volkanovsky, David Bizek, Michelle X, who's mysterious, Elsbeth Feldman, Victoria Dolomanova, Leah Stoller, Alan Christensen, Colleen Peck, Michelle Andrews, Josina, Julianne Rowland, Stu Dolnick, Sarah Durkis, Rhymes with Circus, Kelly Cameron, Wayne Pedersen, Leanne Peterson, Janet Selby, Claire Adams, Comfranzak, Janet Benham, Gila Lacerte, David Donahoe, Blair, Seibert, Dagoran, Arviz, oh! All right, Daron, you got me this week. Daron Avizov rhymes with keep the cheese off. Gio and Carolyn Argentati, Jody Friesner, Ruth Ann Funderburk, and Misha Rosen for your generous support of the podcast. Thanks also to Will Ridenauer for allowing me to use his beautiful song, Sabali Don, Dance of Peace. You can find more of his music at willridenauer.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can share this and other episodes with your friends. You can write a review on iTunes. There's a new review this week from Rick Pack, who says, Encouraging for all, vegetarian or not. Rick says, Great, candid, scientifically sound and hype-free podcast about optimal performance and often a plant-based diet. Do not know why at least some episodes are marked as explicit. (laughs) It's because some of my guests have potty mouths like I do, Rick. (laughs) Thanks for asking. Uh, I have only recently become more conscious of the plants around me and taken a related interest in eating more fruits and vegetables. This podcast keeps me fired up and aware of our bonds with the plant world. The Avoiding Burnout episode is a must-listen and may not have included a single reference to plants. That's true. That's true. Sometimes we just talk about planting yourself as in putting down roots in a world that just wants to wash us away. And another way to support the show, of course, is to become a patron of the show with a one-time gift or ongoing contribution over at plantyourself.com. Right sidebar, click on Patreon or donate. You can do it by Patreon or PayPal. So if you do get a lot of value from the podcast, you know, this is hours a week for me. No advertising, no affiliate deals, um, no product placement, just stuff that I believe in, people that I want to talk to. If you're getting value from this hour, hour and a half a week, I would love it if you would gift something back to to show your appreciation and to help me be able to continue. Okay, so in garden news, we're waving the white flag around basil, blueberries, and yellow squash, although the stem borers may make this our last yellow squash week. So then we're going to have to wait for eggplant, beans, and the grapes to come in throughout the rest of the summer. Um, peppers, a couple other things as well. We had a huge rain last night, so we're hoping that will take care of some growing needs for these very, very thirsty plants, especially the corn is also coming up. In running news, okay, so the good news is I returned from Leadville alive, and even, well, I don't know if it's better news, but uh, the the next level up is I finished the marathon, the Leadville Trail Marathon. It was an eight and a half hour cutoff, and I finished it easily in eight hours and 27 minutes. I was the last finisher 
which according to um, Dave Wiskowski, who, who ran the race um, much faster than I did, so I saw him for like four seconds at the beginning, but not again until the very end. Um, Dave said, it's a great honor in the uh, ultra and trail running world to be DFL, which stands for dead last. And that's what I was. So um, we, I ran with a group uh, that Josh Lajani helped to form called the Missing Chins. Um, all the others are people who've lost significant amounts of weight, turned their lives around through running. Um, I have turned my life around through running, but I have not lost a significant amount of weight through it. So I'm like to think of myself as an honorary member and it was very nice i was the, i was the only one who came in quite so slow all the other people um, who've lost hundreds of pounds beat me by by sometimes hours so it's a very exciting and humbling experience and um not one that i wish to repeat again real soon so i'm looking for a a, a run in which i can uh, not have to just stumble up and down a mountain for eight and a half hours if you're a local to the Raleigh-Durham area, come meet me on June 21st, this coming Wednesday at oh, uh, 6 p.m. at the WRAL 3D Theater on West Jones Street in Raleigh. I'm going to be there not to present, but to meet one of my heroes and podcast guest, Florence Williams, who's going to be talking about the Nature Fix, Your Brain on Nature. I'll include a link in the show notes to that page so that you can find out more about it and uh, RSVP and show up Say hello and listen to the brilliant Floris Williams talking about your brain on nature, awe, biophilia, and the power of our nature neurons. That's all for this week. As always, be well, my friends. <laughs>